Well, I have selected for the title of this message today, A Paradigm for Suffering. Now, there are still a few folks out there who believe that Aggies can't use words that are over two syllables long. This word is three syllables. So that should settle it for now and for all eternity, right? Uh, I mean, paradigm becomes paradigmatic. My goodness, that's what, five syllables? Uh, So that's, that's done. We won't have to live with that anymore. Uh, As you know, Brian has been preaching through the book of Philippians and will continue to do so for the rest of this semester. And he's already taken us through the first part of chapter 1, the salutation to the Philippians that Paul is writing in verses 1 and 2, and then the thanksgiving for God's work among them uh, and God's work in them uh, in verses 3 through 11. So today we come to verses 12 through 18. And uh, in this paradigm for suffering, we're going to see three sections in this passage as we read it. Uh, The first section is verses 12 to 14. And this is Paul talking about how God is using his imprisonment uh, for the progress of the gospel. And then specifically in verse 13... He's going to talk about the gospel among unbelievers and then the gospel among believers. And then in the next section, verses 15 through 17, he's going to talk about how the gospel is being preached. Now, this is a a really interesting section because the gospel is being preached out of envy in one group of people. And that seems quite strange to us. But secondly, it's being preached out of goodwill. Paul is saying there are two groups here, an A group and a B group. Uh, One, uh, the A group is preaching from wrong motivations. The B group is right motivations. So he continues with the B group in verse 16, in love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. But then in verse 17, he comes back to the first group and they're preaching out of selfish ambition trying to cause him harm. And then at the conclusion of this passage in verse 18, we'll look at Paul's perspective on the whole matter. Now, as we go through this passage, I would like to invite you to notice the centrality of the gospel that captivates Paul and drives him in all that he does and how he views this imprisonment. For Paul, evangelism was a core driver in his life. He was compelled in every situation uh, to make it an opportunity to share Christ. And he certainly did so in this imprisonment. And so must we. As a matter of fact, when we're facing difficulties and trials and stresses and pains in our lives, the attitude and the perspective with which we encounter those things is absolutely critical and makes all of the difference. I know that because of what Chip read this morning, the numbers of people who are going through illness in our congregation right now. But I suspect that that's not the total story. That some of you, perhaps many of you, are going through trials of your own in your own life right now. You're under great stress. You're under great trial and great difficulty. And perhaps it's so captured your life you can't think 
about much else. You can't feel much else other than the stress of what you're going through. This passage speaks to you. This passage gives you an idea of how it is you can face a trial like that and somehow encounter it in a kind of way that not only moves you through the trial, but gives you a sense of God's presence and God's blessing and God's operation in your life as you move through it. So attitude is absolutely the key. The poet puts it like this. One ship drives east, another drives west with the selfsame winds that blow. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales which determine the way we go. If you've ever done any sailing, you know that you determine the direction you want to go regardless of the direction the wind is coming And you set your sails to take advantage of the wind to take you where you want to go. If we could only go where the winds are blowing, we wouldn't end up in places oftentimes that it really is our desire to go. So we set our sails to use the wind, to use the trial, to use the difficulty, to get us to a place that God is leading us. I would invite you to think about your trials that way. And we're going to see from Paul more information about how just to do that. See if you can determine as we move through this, the set of Paul's sails as he faces his own difficulty. And so let's look at verse 12. It says, and I invite you to keep your Bibles open because we'll read each of these verses uh, in turn. Chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. This is the theme or topic sentence for the entire paragraph. You see, the Philippians have come to know that Paul is in prison. And I'm sure that they were going through their own responses and reactions to that. And perhaps many of them feared that the advance of the church of Jesus Christ and the advance of the proclamation of the gospel somehow had been dealt a a severe blow, perhaps even a death blow. Paul says, I want you to know what has happened to me as a result of my uh, imprisonment. Far from being what they feared, Paul is saying it is something very very different than what you thought it might be. Now, what do we learn from this? Well, Paul is key to the ministry to the Gentiles. And as I've already said, when that key leader is taken off center stage, that many people might feel that the era of the Christian advance is over. The preaching of the gospel has been dealt a severe blow, perhaps even thinking Satan has won. But the truth of the matter is, these things never catch God by surprise. And God has his own mission and his own sense of direction that he is pursuing. And these kinds of things we will see may look like setbacks and defeat to us, 
But God is always at work and God is always working his plan. And these things which look like defeats oftentimes are just the first step in what God is going to do next. And it was certainly that case in these uh, people's lives. You know, a few years back, uh, our pastor resigned. And those of you who have been here several years remember that event. He is a very gifted man in terms of preaching, and we were concerned, I think, as he resigned that a lot of people might be coming to this church just to hear him because he is so gifted. And we were concerned that this church might decline and that those people might fall away. Those of you who were here during that time, however, I want to say a word of affirmation and joyous appreciation for your continuing to see that God was not through with this church just because one of the central members of it departed. And I remember uh, the church business meeting that we had right after uh, he resigned. Of course, you would expect the pastoral staff, the others and the elders who were here to continue to hold the church and encourage the church to the mission that God had laid on our hearts. But at at that meeting, it was not so much the pastors and the elders who got up. It was you, those of you who were here at that time, who got up and said, you know, this is a loss we have sustained But God has so blessed this church and so deeply rooted the mission, the strategic mission of this church to prepare leaders for the next generation that that mission surely cannot go away. This surely has not caught God by surprise. And this surely is the next step in what God has for this church. And it turned out to be exactly that. And while we lost one gifted preacher, and we certainly did, God led this church to call another gifted preacher, and that's Brian Fisher. And Brian has continued to lead this church, and expansion and growth has continued to flow out of the faithfulness of this body of Christ to respond to a time of crisis that some might have thought might, be, might have been marking the decline of the witness and the power of the gospel in this community. Far from being that, it became that which has begun to propel the church to extend the proclamation of the gospel even wider in our community, even wider in our mission efforts around the world, even wider in our dedication to preparing next generation leaders for the leadership of the mission of the body of Christ throughout the world. And so, far from being what it could have been, Paul wants him to know that the response is not the destruction of the church, but the progress of the gospel. What seems like a defeat to us is just one more step in God's work uh, to build his kingdom. Let's always keep that in mind. Otherwise, we could certainly become defeated by what we see the circumstances around us becoming. So let's move to verse 13. Verse 13 says, uh, 
so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. First, Paul is going to deal with the impact of his imprisonment on unbelievers. Now, let's get this picture. Every day, uh, Paul is in chains, in imprisonment. And every day, a member of the Praetorian Guard, which is Caesar's elite guard, one of them is going to come and be chained to Paul and to secure Paul and to ensure uh, that he does not escape and that nobody comes to take him away. Now, I don't know, and the scriptures don't tell us, that if the guards did this in shifts, let's say they did it in eight-hour shifts. So every eight hours, a new guard was brought, chained to Paul. And for eight hours, he sat there and he listened to Paul. He observed Paul. And I just bet you that as a new guard was brought and was chained to Paul, Paul sat down and maybe introduced himself with this man. And he said, since we've got eight hours together, how would you like it if I told you a story? And the guy says, sure, we got eight hours to kill. Let's, let's, in a story would help the time go by. And so Paul starts out. Let me tell you a story about a man named Jesus. And I just wonder, I just wonder how many of those men at the end of that eight hour shift joined Paul at the start, a pagan, and finished that tour as he was released from those shackles to go home, a born again believer in Jesus Christ. You see, Paul, and we'll see this again in a moment, didn't change what he had always been doing. He just had a different audience now. And so he kept on keeping on, even in the midst of the trial, to proclaim Jesus Christ. And so this, with the guards, just look at what these men witness. They probably thought Paul would be bitter about being locked up for a crime that he did not commit. But what did they see? They saw a man who prayed continually. They saw a man teaching others about his God. They saw a man writing to others concerning Christ. They saw a man who was certain that no matter what happened, God would be there. They saw a man of great faith, full of courage, patience, a gentleman, a sincere man. What they saw was a man who had been transformed by Christ. And I firmly believe that many were one to Christ simply by what they saw and what they heard from Paul during the times that they were with him. But you see, this is not the whole story. For Paul says in that 13th verse, with the guards and with all the others. Apparently, there were many others from Caesar's household who uh, encountered Paul as a part of their official duties in coming to take testimony and depositions and those kinds of things from him. So that in chapter 4, verse 22, when he's writing back to the Philippians, let me just read this for you. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Wow. 
So Paul is not only witnessing to the guards who come every day, he's witnessing to Caesar's household members, and many of them become believers in Jesus Christ, so much so that at the end of his two years, he could say, many in Caesar's household who are believers send you greetings, you who are Philippian believers in Philippi. Do you see that, my friends? That Paul is encountering this imprisonment, this trial, this difficulty by doing what he always did, remaining faithful in his walk with the Lord. And others saw that walk. They heard what he had to say. And because he was there, they became believers in Jesus Christ. Do you see how God was working in this situation? And what everybody perhaps in the world at that time thought, that this was a huge defeat for the cause of Christ. It was in fact God's opportunity to place Paul at the very seat of government and have his witness be so powerful and so moving that many of those people who would have otherwise never considered a relationship with Jesus Christ because of where Paul was, because of the trial, because of the difficulty, because of the imprisonment, were now believers in Jesus Christ. Are you beginning to see what some of the answer for your own trial may be as you move through it? Your own difficulty that overwhelms you. And I guess the chance is to, on the one hand is to become embittered, angry, upset because you feel like God has betrayed you and put you in a difficult situation. But is it possible? Is it just possible that the situation you're going through right now that you're facing or have faced or will face is God's opportunity to work both in you and through you to do His will and His good pleasure? to bring others to know Jesus Christ and to glorify God. Well, what do we learn from this? Just notice that in the midst of his trial, as I have just said, he continued walking with the Lord and that that walk was so powerful that it influenced other people's lives. Our suffering may not always work out for our own personal good. That is, we may have to continue to deal with the trial. But God promises that it will work out for his good and for his glory. Well, let's move on to verse 14. Verse 14 says, And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So we have just looked at uh, the impact on unbelievers. Now we're going to look at the impact on the believers who were in Rome. It says that they were encouraged and began to display extraordinary boldness to witness for Christ. Paul, because of his faithfulness and the way he was encountering his difficulty, encouraged others to step up and become bold in their witness. And no telling how many more people in the city of Rome came to know Jesus Christ because Paul was doing what he was supposed to do, which encouraged others to do what they should do, which caused others to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Wow. 
Wow. So we're beginning to see not only does our trial have to do with us, but it may cause others to come to know Jesus Christ or those who know Jesus Christ may be emboldened by what they see us doing that they become encouraged and that encouragement infects their lives and they become more bold in their testimony and their witness and their walk with the Lord. Wow. So God could be using your trial to do all of that and more. And then they were proclaiming the whole word of God. They weren't just out on the street corner talking about one portion of the gospel. They were proclaiming the whole word of God. That means that in good times or in bad times, God is always at work. And my friends, if we can get hold of that reality... No matter how bad your circumstance, no matter how far you feel separated from God, God is always at work in good times and in bad times. And He's always at work in you and He's always at work through you. He's working in you to draw you closer to Him, to deepen your walk with Him, to cause you to move to greater maturity in Him. And so the trial is causing you to hold on tighter to Christ. And in that tightness, God's doing transforming work in your life and mine. So he's working in you in a trial, but he's also working through you to touch the lives of other people, even as you face your trial. As a matter of fact, that's so central. Let's say it together. Would you read that together with me? God is always at work. God is always at work in me. God is always at work through me. Hang on to that. Hold on to that. And know in the midst and the depth of the trial when it's, the pain is the greatest that God's at work. God's at work in you and God's at work through you as you face that trial. That will change the direction of how you encounter life's difficulties. And I encourage you to it. Now let's move to verses 15 through 17. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am pointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. And so Paul is saying here that he knows of the progress of the gospel. And one of the evidences is that uh, believers have been emboldened to preach the word. But there are two groups of folks out there preaching the word, Paul is saying, and he deals with those now. The first group is a group that is from coming from selfish ambition. And I can just suspect that what was happening was that there were people out there who were a little jealous of Paul. And they were jealous of the limelight uh, that he stood in. And now he had been taken off of center stage. Here was their chance. Now is their, their chance for them to shine. And so they're going to step up 
and try to take a place of prominence that Paul uh, had gained over his years of working as, a, as a, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And so they stood up, not so much motivated to preach the gospel, although that's what they were doing. They were doing it out of the motivation of self-grandizement so that they could become the superstar of the gospel. And they were doing that out of envy and selfish ambition. And then there was the other group who were inspired by love. They were in love with Paul. They were in love with Jesus Christ. They saw what Paul was going through and they wanted to fill up the gap that was left by Paul not being able to be out with them. And so they stepped forward in love, just much like this congregation did when our pastor resigned. And I saw that. I saw a bonding together that could only be described as the love of Jesus Christ holding us together, bonding us together, impelling us forward to accomplish God's will and God's purpose. But it was because of this first group, the one preaching out of envy and strife and self-interest, that Paul goes on in the rest of Philippians, and I know Brian will want to focus on this. Paul develops a whole theology of Christian humility in the rest of the book of Philippians. Bad things do happen to good people, even to Paul imprisonment. And why do they? It's a myth, I think, in some people's feelings that if we serve the Lord and remain close to Him, be continual and faithful in our prayer, that God will protect us and keep us from the difficulties of life. But that's just not the reality of experience, is it? It wasn't the reality of experience in Paul's life. It was not even the reality of experience in Jesus' life who had to go to a cruel cross and suffer and die in order to purchase our salvation. And so we all face difficulties. And why do we? Well, all people will suffer. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No uh, trial or tribulation has overtaken us, but such as is common to man. It's part of all of our experiences. We suffer because we break the laws of nature. Uh, We suffer because God allows us to suffer to promote spiritual growth. Hebrews 5.8 says, Jesus learned obedience through the trials that he suffered. Sometimes we suffer because of sin. And I guess the classic illustration of that is in Genesis 3, in Adam and Eve's sin and the consequences of that sin. Sometimes God allows us to suffer to prevent us from sinning. Second Corinthians uh, said, Paul says that God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from exalting himself. And sometimes we suffer to allow the advancement of the gospel, which is the point of this passage that we're reading today. Now, let's read verse 18 in conclusion. What then... Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. It doesn't matter, Paul says, if people are preaching from envy or if they're preaching for love. The main thing is that the gospel is being preached. 
Now, of course it matters. But Paul is saying the bottom line is, does the gospel get preached? And if so, are people responding and coming to know Jesus Christ? And if so, Paul says, I rejoice. Now, this does not mean that Paul approves the preaching of false doctrine. He does not. He spends a lot of his writings attacking those who are teaching and telling the church not to be swayed by them. But these people were not preaching false doctrine. They were just preaching it out of the wrong motivation. And so Paul says, what does it really matter? He has learned, I think, uh, by the grace of God to see everything from a divine perspective. And so should we. He is a man of a single passion, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is all that truly matters. He understood what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to participate in the sufferings of Christ. And he is less concerned about his reputation than he is about the cause of Christ. My friends, as we come to the conclusion of this passage, I hope that you have seen it as a method, a model, yes, even a paradigm for our own suffering. We all encounter it. We all experience it. We all have to go through it. The question is, what is the set of your sails and my sails as we go through the trials of life? What's the set of your sails? Well, if we can have this attitude, this attitude, that in my trials, as well as the good times in my life, God is always at work. And when he's at work, he's at work in me and he's at work through me. He's going to change me through the trial and he's going to work through me to witness to other people about the wonderful, marvelous relationship that comes when you know Jesus Christ. And my friends, I would say to any of you who are here this morning, and you don't know what I'm talking about when I say a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I would encourage you to know that Christ invite you, invites you into a relationship with Him right now, right here, today. And you can know Him as your Savior. You can walk out of here today knowing Jesus Christ and having Him dwelling in your heart, being your Savior before you leave here today. And in conclusion then, will you bow with me and pray? Dear God, we do pray for that. That Paul was so sold out to the gospel of Jesus Christ to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ had come, sent from God to die and be buried and be raised again to be victorious over death and over sin so that we could have salvation. He could pay the price that we should pay ourselves for our own sin. And he wants, because of what he has accomplished, to become our Savior. And I pray, dear God, that anyone here who does not know you today will, in the quietness of these moments, open their heart to you and say, Lord, I know that I so desperately need that relationship with you. I need salvation. I need forgiveness of my sins. I need a walk with you that will guide and create my life into something new. 
And so, Lord, I open my heart and by faith and trust in you, invite you to come in and be my Savior. And my friend, if you have just prayed that, I say to you, welcome to the family of God. You now know Christ. He dwells in you and he wants to lead you from this point to grow and mature in your walk with him. And now, dear Father, for all of us, dismiss us from this place. Send us forth into the places that you have us going with this sense upon our minds and upon our hearts that you are at work in our lives. You are at work in us and you are at work through us to accomplish and do your will and to bring glory to your holy and precious name. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week.